for a single soul. Reaching a further and stepping in closer. Good day everyone and welcome to today's Living Life. Here's another little known fact about myself that I'll share. Uh, I love snowboarding. Um, I love extreme sports in general. Uh, I used to do a lot of inline skating and I would try to do jumps, uh, go downstairs and you know, little things like that. Not full on extreme, but you know, a little bit of extreme uh, sportsness. And whether you like snowboarding or not, watching snowboarding videos is cool. It is fun, it's refreshing, it's exciting. It's, there's a lot of thrill. Um, just seeing people, people carving down the slope and especially the jumps, right? Even if it's a plain kind of a normal jump, and you know, that's still cool. But then you, you start seeing people doing flips and 360, you know, spins and rotations and whatnot. It's, it's crazy, it's ridiculous, it's very exciting. Whether you want to do it or not, it looks extremely exciting. And I remember, you know, going through those videos at one point and there was a tutorial video on how to do jumps, how you can do, how everyone can learn to do these jumps. And a word that they said stuck out at me. Now this is just a snowboarding video, no spirituality whatsoever. The word commit, right? Because everyone wonders, what kind of person does it take, you know, what kind of bravery, courage does it take to, you know, snowboard down and then jump off a ramp, go like 10, 15 meters in front and then land down on, you know, snow. Um, and the word commit came out over and over. You come down, you plant your feet flat, and then as you hit the ramp, you commit to the jump and you go, and as you land, you follow through. And that stuck with me. And I think prayer is kind of like stunts in extreme sports. To use snowboarding as an analogy, prayer is deciding to do that jump. And once you made that decision, the only way to survive and thrive at that point is to commit and to follow through. But sometimes it's uh, you know, easy enough to pray, but to commit and follow through is another question. So let's read the passage together and then we'll continue. Jeremiah chapter 42, verses 13 through 22. However, if you say, we will not stay in this land, and so disobey the Lord your God, and if you say, no, we will go and live in Egypt, where we will not see war or hear the trumpet or be hungry for bread, then hear the word of the Lord, you remnant of Judah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. If you are determined to go to Egypt, and you do go to settle there, then the sword you fear will overtake you there, and the famine you dread will follow you into Egypt, and there you will die. Indeed, all who are determined to go to Egypt to settle there will die by the sword, famine, and plague. Not one of them will survive or escape the disaster I will bring on them. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. As my anger and wrath have been poured out on those who live in Jerusalem, so will my wrath be poured out on you when you go to Egypt. You will be a curse and an object of horror, a curse and an object of reproach. You will never see this place again. 
Remnant of Judah, the Lord has told you, do not go to Egypt. Be sure of this. I warn you today that you made a fatal mistake when you sent me to the Lord your God and said, pray to the Lord our God for us. Tell us everything he says and we will do it. I have told you today, but you still have not obeyed the Lord your God and all he sent me to tell you. So now be sure of this. You will die by the sword, famine, and plague in the place where you want to go to settle. Now, before we get going, I think we need a quick recap of what's been happening since chapter 40. So Judah is conquered by the Babylonians, uh, and then, uh, as already was prophesied by Jeremiah, uh, most people are captured and then exiled, including Jeremiah, but some uh, at chapter 40 are released and allowed to go back to Judah as Gedaliah is appointed as the governor of the remnant of people in Judah. But then Gedaliah is treacherously assassinated by Ishmael, who is a Judean, by the way, he is a person of Judah, in an attempt to fight the power of the Babylonians and also seize power for himself, kind of like a coup. Ishmael is eventually opposed by a group of former soldiers and officers of Judah led by Johanan, and Ishmael flees to the Amorites. And now Johanan is wondering what to do. He's afraid that the Babylonians will come and punish the people of Judah for what happened, uh, for the murder of the governor that they appointed. And so in yesterday's passage, they come uh, to Jeremiah and they ask for God's guidance to stay or to run away to Egypt. And they ask in verse 2 um, of the same chapter, please hear our petition and pray to the Lord God, uh, to the Lord your God, for this entire remnant. For as you now see, though we were once many, now only a few are left. Pray that the Lord your God will tell us where we should go and what we should do. Now, verse 5 and 6 is crucial. Verse 5, um, then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord um, be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with everything the Lord your God sends you to tell us. Whether it is favorable or unfavorable, we will obey the Lord our God to whom we uh, we are sending you so that it will go well with us for we will obey the Lord our God. We will obey the Lord our God, they say. That's, it's actually interesting that they keep saying the Lord your God, your God. Until the end they say we will obey the Lord our God. So they ask for guidance and they receive it. Should we go to Egypt or stay? God says stay. Stay in Judah with the remnants of people. Should we go to Egypt as one option, the land of power and security, with a pharaoh, a king who should be, maybe, might be able to stand up to Nebuchadnezzar, one of the oldest superpowers of the world, a land of opportunity and familiarity, because Egypt was always a security blanket for Judah and Israel, and there were already a lot of Jews, Judeans, Israelites living there already. That's one option. Or should we stay in Judah as the other option, destroyed with barely any people left? And the remnant that are left are the least in the society, the poorest and the weakest. A place and situation with no power, nor the prospect of power or security, under foreign rule and at the mercy of foreign rule. Now, with these two options and this situation, God says, stay, stay in Judah. Verse 10, if you stay in this land, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you, for I have relented concerning the disaster I have inflicted on you. 
Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hands. Verse 12, I will show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your land. Now, isn't it interesting that this restoration process has actually already started, if you think about it? This situation is very far removed from us today. But the underlying issue uh, is one that is very close to us and familiar to all of us. Life or a situation has become difficult or near impossible, and we are caught in a dilemma. What should we do? What should I do? And you have an idea of what to do, but is it the right choice? And so this is when we pray and we ask God to guide us, to tell us what His will is for our lives. And this is one of the toughest situations for me as a pastor. You know, if people come to me with this kind of situation, you know, I'm just glad that people don't expect me to tell them what to do. Like, you know, with Jeremiah, they go ask him to pray and then tell us what to do, you know, kind of thing. I'm glad that people don't do that with me at least. Now, in this situation, the golden ticket question, right, the big thing is, how do I know the will of God? the age-old question that every pastor has to struggle with for themselves, but also for the entire congregation, right? Now, there is no simple, foolproof, practical answer, right? Other than the Scripture, the Word of God, right? That's what we always say. Now, so, you know, what do we do? We rely on a combination of prayer, Scripture, to give us the sermon over situational context, the pros and cons, the cost-benefit analysis, and so forth on, on all the available options. Now, this actually doesn't sound bad. You know, it's logical, it's, it's rational, and it's basically what I sh would do. But at the same time, it's too rational, too analytical. Because, um, according to Andrew Diemen, um, whose uh, commentary I read to prepare, it is more frequently uh, the case that the hindrance to knowing the will of God comes from moral sloth and failure to trust than from the inability to, dis to discern um, at least the basics of a course of action. I think I need to read that one more time. Not knowing the will of God comes from, it's not about, you know, not having enough options or thinking about the options, but two things, moral sloth and the failure to trust. So moral sloth is about being lazy and passive in the right and wrong, knowing the right and wrong, and obviously to trust. Ultimately, who or what do you trust? Very often, our morality is decided by political partisanship, leadership, you know, the party or direction, society, culture, family, expectations, and even peers. And trust, we'll, go, we'll talk a little bit more about this in a few days, but very often, God is the last person that we really put our trust in. Ultimately, it's about relationship, and that is why the only foolproof answer is the Scripture, the Word of God. To know the will of God is to know the Word of God. Everyone is needing to make some kind of choice almost every day. And over the next few days, we are going to unpack this process a little more by learning from and through the mistakes of Johanan and the remnant of Judah. In making any decision, um, we can practice discerning the will of God using the two meters that I quoted above. Firstly, your morality. 
How much of your right and wrong is determined by God, His Word, the Scripture, as opposed to other things and sources, some of which I mentioned earlier? Ultimately, it is about relationship between you and God, and the health of your relationship determines whether you can know or not. If your relationship with God is not right, it is not healthy, then there is no way that you are going to learn the will of God. That is where we need to start. That is the fundamental basis that we need uh, to build uh, our decision-making on. And the second meter is your trust. How much do you trust God as opposed to everything and everyone else, including rational logic, your own rational logic? So let's practice thinking about these two things, these two meters, and assessing and reflecting ourselves on the Word of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that you lead us and guide us, O oh Lord. And we even thank you for the many examples, Lord, examples of courage, but also examples of even failures in the Bible that we can learn from uh, so that we don't make the same mistakes. At the same time, it is easier said than done. So Lord, help us to reflect on our own morality and our own trust, whether it is in you, about you, and for you, or how much of ourselves, uh, how much of the world is in that illuminate um, our eyes, uh, our thoughts, and our heart uh, today and over the next few days so that we may learn to grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.